Welcome, Red Sox fans. Here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this midweek edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a two-game set with the Tampa Bay Rays dropping the series two games to one. They are currently in second place in the American League East, leapfrogging the Yankees and are nine games back from the Tampa Bay Rays. Yankees are now in the second spot, a full game back of the Red Sox. If the the Blue Jays, if the, the game holds up, the Blue Jays will be two games out of that second spot, and they have tons of momentum. Red Sox do not play the Blue Jays, so no fear about a matchup with them, but the uh, race bears watching despite the fact the Red Sox are first in the wild card. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at bastards underscore Boston. And that is the more fun account of the two. Joining me tonight from the mile high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. Andrew? What's going on, guys? Good to salvage one game tonight. It was an exciting way to win, you know. Hopefully builds a little momentum towards the uh, next series. Came in like a missile. That, that win. We'll he get came into in it. With a, like, right off the bat, he's like, I, "We, we got to talk. We got to talk about this game." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm riding high. We'll get into it. And uh, Job Goddard chiming in, coming up to us from the nation's capital, by way of Newport, Rhode Island. So, how are you, Job? I'm a little queasy, Terry. To be honest, this series was the biggest roller coaster of a series we have had this season. And probably in quite a while. It was, thanks to game one, which we'll get into. That was a bit of an implosion. You have to you have to expect you're gonna drop one anyway to a, a team like Tampa. And uh Nelson Cruz finally looking like one of the best trade acquisitions uh, of the trade season there after a slow start, so made us pay quite a bit. Yeah, I I want to I want to touch on this before we get into the show. I got to get it off my chest. I, I was like really disturbed in the middle of the game when that fan got kicked out for two reasons. Number one, it wasn't even ruled to be an interference. Even if it was an interference, it was still going to be a tough ball to catch. And number two, he was just being a fan. It wasn't like an inflammatory interference where he was doing it to be a douche. He was just being a Cubs baseball fans fan. Everywhere. Cubs fans everywhere are mad at you right now. Uh, they they are, but you're not just ruining it for him. What's his family supposed to do? Just sit there and be like, oh, well, our dad got kicked out or our friend or whatever. I just sit there and wish you had a smarter dad. I mean, <laughs> God, we can't afford to give teams enough anywhere else. We do it enough. Uh, <laughs> there, uh, I had a similar take to you, Terry. I, I thought, Hey, if the fan's going to reach over, he should have made that catch. All right, that's my, my first thing. My second thing is I actually thought the Nesson broadcast that I was watching, they did a good job pointing out that that fan should have been let back into the game. Like, they, if security was taking that fan out, the second the umpire said no go, that fan should have been put right back in his seat with a complimentary free beer and, uh, you know, could have been enjoying the baseball game with a little bit of TV time. Instead, a, a poorly made decision by Fenway security. But you got to know to lean back. You're the home team, you know? No, I, you're not I thinking that we're in a pennant race. 
You're reaching for the ball. I mean, you're, reach, off you're walking up at the sky. You're looking for... sitting out deep. Well, if you're going to do it, at least make the play. <laughs> and he did not do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, it bothered me. And I kept, I kept waiting for the, the cameras to come back to the seat and be like, Oh, they've, they've let him back. And I think Nesson was told, no, I, I think that that was a, a wink nudge from somebody at Fenway that said, don't, don't go back there. Yeah, exactly. Talking about it. Cause it makes because us look bad. Alex Burke called him out and said like, that fan should be let back in his seat. Right. And that, you know, he said, let's keep a camera on that. And then he never heard a word about it. Right. And Dave O'Brien wasn't on his side before the commercial, but when when they came back, he was like, "Yeah, they shouldn't have they shouldn't have kicked him out." I just I don't know, I I don't tolerate much shenanigans, you know. I I don't I don't like those sort of things in sports, but um, but that's something I, I I'm, I'm fairly liberal with. So, all right, uh, getting into the series game one, we'll get into it shortly. Brutal loss, blew a six-run lead. That was Monday, the Labor Day game. Chris Sale got slapped around a little bit. We'll get into it, like I said. Lose that one 11-10. Tuesday, another ugly game, but that one was ugly from the get-go. 12-7 loss with Eduardo Rodriguez on the mound. And then tonight, uh, game three, Red Sox dramatically win that one with with a late home run and then a a laser beam throw from the outfield. We will get into that as well. Quick timeout, real quick. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Boston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with the fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're at zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose uh, nose hair trimmer, crop preservers and ball deodorant, as well as crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. And everybody is probably thanking me for being done with that. I can't get through it like Charlie can. The perform- Charlie has a voice made for radio. He does, and I'm jealous. But uh, the performance package, I just I I duff it every time. But... Speaking of duffing it, let's start with the dud side. The Red Sox lost the series, so that's where we will begin. Andrew, you've got a hot one for this series. Who is your dud? Uh, mine is the player, formerly major league player, formerly known as Taylor Motter. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a major league player anymore. He was promptly taken out of the game after what error number two, and he threw a little bit of a fit. And they DFA'd him very quickly. So (laughs) probably not his fault. Probably shouldn't have been up in the first place. Uh, I had no idea he had 400 major league at bats. I didn't either. With who? Yeah. No idea. I'd I'd have to look it up. Colorado and Texas. Okay. Really? That's why we didn't know. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, if you're not good enough for those teams. Yeah. yeah, it was unfortunate. His glove really was terrible. JD had an absolute, you know, missile the, uh, throw from left field that he just botched. Couldn't hold on to the tag. Wasn't a hard play. Um, any major league player usually does makes that ten out of ten times. He couldn't. And I'm gonna tell you right now. I guarantee this is the last time we ever talk about him on this podcast. <laughs> 
I'd never heard of him till he got called up. So, Job, thoughts on water? I was going to roast Andrew for his decision on a dud because there's so many duds to pick from in this series that he went with a guy who's not going to be on the team next week. But I did the exact same thing last week. So I, I really can't be too upset with him after I went with Jack Lopez or my dud. I think Motter was terrible. Um, that might be his last big league shot in, in Boston. It definitely is. But it might be his last big league shot, period. He's 31 years old. Um, and he doesn't have a glove. His career is a 190 hitter. I, I just don't see what team's going to give a 31-year-old a shot when they have 26-year-olds who can do the same job. So that might be it for him. If it is, sign off. I'm glad we saw you for two games. I'm glad it was only two. And uh, that'll be the last time I bring his name up on the podcast, for sure. Yeah, I mean... I wasn't really impressed with his attitude, you know, dropping an F-bomb after a bad at-bat. and Oh, you're not Xander Bogart, so you're not Rafi Devers. Right. Shut up and play. You know, I I just don't like it. Maybe in his mind he's thinking this is probably one of his last opportunities and he's he's squandering it and he, he didn't have a good game leading up to that. And then the Red Sox just went and got Jose Iglesias back, which kind of... I think caught everybody off guard and uh, kind of an interesting reunion there. He was traded. What was it? Three months in the PV deal. So he missed Mm -hmm. out on, he missed out on the duck boat parade because he was the, he was the trade bait and here he is back with the Red Sox. But so he came into the game for modder and, and that was it. So, you know, not not a not a ton to go over because it was it might have just been a sip of a cup of coffee from for modern and that was it. But I kind of got the duds mixed up because I wrote the order wrong. Job, you have the hot one, so go ahead. Who is your dud? Uh, my dud for this series is Alex Verdugo. I don't really want to harp on it too much because he was out of position because of COVID. And in all honesty, my dub would have been somebody different if tonight didn't end the way it did. But Verdugo, by himself, gave up six runs in game one. Not only did he give up the lead, um, but he made a poor decision in the seventh inning to not only make the game close, but to, to lose that game for all intents and purposes. In what I think was the sloppiest, most effortless Red Sox game I have watched since chicken and beer. <laughs> Like it's the exact opposite of what we said last week about what happens when Chris Sale is on the mound. It went from everyone's laser focused because you can't screw it up to everybody kicking and throwing it all over the field like the Oakland A's. It's it was brutal. Uh, so Verdugo needed to be better, both defensively and offensively, because offensively he tried to make up for it. And he swung from his heels every time. And had two strikeouts in game one. Cost us, I think, a series win. Andrew. Yeah, you know, it's a tough one for Verdugo. His bat's actually been really good lately. Uh, followed that, you know, over three up with uh, three for five. Um, but you look at a guy in him that was such a good right fielder last year, and we're like, all right, we got a right fielder. But, you know. Here comes Hunter Renfro playing all-world defense and throwing guys out left and right. So he gets moved over to left, which he was fine in left. But then, you know, Kike goes down for an extended period of time. He's got to go over to center. It exposes him a little bit to, you know, the elements of injury and just pure uncomfortableness. And, you know, he's staring up at the sun, which at an angle he's not used to doing, which not much of an excuse, but... It's a play he's got to make. It's a very hard play. And, I, I mean, I could never make that. <laughs> but they they just need to get these guys back into the position that they're used to playing. And when that comes, we should have a little bit of continuity. But the Alex Verdugo in center field thing, that's definitely not going to be a long-term uh, fit for either the player or the club. Uh, well, Andrew's frozen for me. I don't know about you, Terry. But, Terry, what are your thoughts on it? I think Andrew's back, actually. But, yeah. So, 
I mean, we've seen Kike Hernandez, who has been an infielder most of his career, just kind of take to that position and and has been very good. At the start of the season, the, the roots to the ball weren't great for Hernandez, but Verdugo's been an outfielder his whole career. That's what he's been at every level. He's been an outfielder, and I just feel like Sometimes when the pressure's on and the other team gains momentum, the Red Sox, they can't, not only can they not stop the momentum of the other team, but the the snowball turns into an avalanche really quick because they start getting hasty, they start losing focus, and I think that has a lot to do with why Verdugo had a bad game. There, There was another outfielder who... Mostly had a good series, but had a bad game in game two. And it's just been a mess right now. This Red Sox team, sometimes they they look like it's the first day of spring training. The first spring tra- training game, and they're just sloppy. And, and that, then they look like they did tonight. And, right? I mean, like which was great. Oscillation. Which was great. But... I just feel like in the month of September, you should be locked in. You should be playing your best baseball. You've been doing it all year. And the the focus should be this wild card race and putting ourselves in the best position to have home field advantage and keep a distance on Toronto. Toronto might be hosting the, the wild card game at their stadium for all we know. It's There's a ton of baseball left to be played. The Mariners are only one game back of of Toronto as well. They're playing good baseball. So I just, this team doesn't look like it's, it's prepared to win a wild card game and then hopefully go on a deep run. And you saw a lot of that in game one. And especially for Verdugo, who like Job said, single-handedly lost this game for the Red Sox. Well, now think about this Uh, question for both of you. If they win game one, and then what happens tonight happens, and suddenly you've won two out of three in five straight series, well, th- then the panic button, not only is your not hand not over the panic button, it, it starts to hinder towards the we're comfortable with our wild card situation spot, right? It, looks it starts like, to be, okay, we need home field advantage. It looks like the start of an epic run is what it looks like. Right, if exactly. We, like, yeah. okay, this team is back. They're dominant. They're going to get healthy. And instead, what we get is sloppiness, laziness, pure laziness by at least one outfielder uh, on a couple occasions that I don't want to talk about now because we're going to get into him later, actually on the stud side. But – this team has had the worst defense I've ever seen from a major league team the Red Sox have had in my lifetime. I know I'm a lot younger than the two of you, but would you be surprised to know that it's the worst defense in the American League, even with the outfield assists from you know the guys in right and center? It's the worst defensive team in baseball. I would not be surprised. Yeah. I mean, they've moved so many guys around. They're not going to get any continuity, and they have some – I mean, just look – they have all these guys out of position. It's not going to get better until they can go two or three games with a set lineup. So I, I, uh, I wouldn't expect to get. I wouldn't expect it to get to improve uh, in the next three weeks here. See, I, I disagree with you, Andrew, and I'm curious what Terry thinks because a lot of the guys making mistakes. I mean, I understand Verdugo's out of position, but a lot of the mistakes in Game One, for example, for those who watch Game One and then watch Game Three, they're two different teams. The guy making mistakes in game one that probably cost you a chance to win that game is Christian Vasquez as well. I mean, he's an everyday player. Hunter Renfro, everyday player. Like, there's guys making mistakes that we can't afford to have them making mistakes if our roster is thin. And our roster is COVID thin. So, to me, it's just, it really hurts. I'm okay with one win in this series. I thought we'd get one anyway. But it hurts to watch this team take momentum from themselves or just kind of distribute it elsewhere. I think it should be noted, though, that we were pretty stout with Kike gone and Bogart's gone. We were winning. We were winning. And before the the COVID epidemic, we had the worst month of the season, the worst previous 30 days. We had a losing record. Offense was flat. Bullpen was having issues. And so, I mean... 
I would just like this team to just have this do or die attitude, get locked in and, and go for it. <laughs> it sucks that if we win the wild card game, we're going to probably be facing Tampa. I haven't seen the uh, standings. I'm guessing Houston would would be the, the likely team to, to take it away from Tampa. And that scares me. That's the scariest team in the American League as far as I'm concerned, as far as matchups go. But th- this uh, no one no one is going to unseat Tampa at this point. They're seven games clear uh, above uh, Houston? Houston. Okay, all right. So well, I mean, we know we can hang with Tampa. All we had to do was not shoot ourselves in the foot. So it's not like we're going to be super overmatched. And you will be getting Xander Bogarts back, which will be absolutely key. And you'll also have Kike back, and probably Arroyo too. So we should be able to. Give them a quite the fight. Should we make that far? I mean, it's, Tampa does not worry me in the playoffs, Terry. In all honesty, uh, it does for me because they they have the best bullpen in innings seven, eight, and nine. They very seldom ever give up a game, so you have to be winning by the sixth inning. And they, I think I'd I'd want to face them over Houston. Well, frankly. you, I would too, but it's just it's not a comfortable matchup for me. Is yeah, oh saying. no, no, tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, once we get in, right? Assuming that we need to use at least one of our prime relievers and Chris Sale to get through the wild card game, you can't possibly be comfortable, no matter who we face. No, the American League is too even, and we have flaws. I'm not going to lie. There was a point in earlier mid-July where I was having these fantasies of maybe a World Series appearance. Not necessarily a win, but maybe going. And so it's just been it's just been frustrating. But I And like Job said, we win game one. Maybe my attitude is a lot different because we split with Tampa in, last week after dropping the first two games. So th- that was a good, a good ending. But... Well, we got plenty of time to to get into the race here, but uh, let's get into dishonorables. Not a lot to really hate in the lineup. Job kind of mentioned Vasquez, uh, so we'll we'll forget about that. Uh, let's see, Erod definitely uh, just on again, off again. You just never know. He was lights out. I think he went seven innings last week against Tampa. Went three and two thirds this time. And I think collectively, the whole the whole team just wasn't locked in. And maybe maybe that was a, a product of it for for Erod. And there was some soft contact that just didn't go his way. There was the mishap in, in the outfield that that led to some runs, but. Um, definitely a, a dud worthy performance there. And then Felice and Peacock, I don't think we really need to roast them. They're not going to be around much longer, but, uh, six earned runs given up, uh, between them. And I mean, Ottavino wasn't great in, in game one as part of that bullpen implosion. And, uh, Taylor Whitlock wasn't even sharp as well. So, um, lot, lot, lot of bullpen issues, but any, any thoughts on any of the dishonorables? Yeah. I have one more dishonorable. I want to add to that list. Go ahead. Christian Vasquez. Yep. Uh, I think Christian Vasquez made the biggest mistake of the game, even more so than Alex Verdugo. Verdugo let them back in the game. Vasquez had a chance in the ninth inning of the tie game to lay down a bunt, get two runners in scoring position. Generally, he's very good in that spot, and instead he pops it up to the pitcher. It's it's one of the biggest mistakes he's made this season, in my opinion, and it's just a mental error. I mean, that's a, a focus issue, and uh, he's made too many of those in the last three or four weeks. That's a good point because I believe we had runners on first and second. There were no outs when he made that that bunt pop exactly. up. So then a fly ball wins the game. And it, it – it killed the momentum like instantly. I didn't have a great feeling about the next two at bats and you know, we didn't win. I, we got one more base runner. No, actually did we, or did the base runners no, move forward? Not. Nope. I think that the base runner moved up. Yeah. They were on second and third. So a base hit could have, could have walked it off, but um, that was definitely, so, you know, if he lands that bunt, then 
a fly ball to right field and the game is over. Right. So it, it really is, I think, a, a crucial mistake by Vasquez and one that, you know, if he wins that, if he lays down that bunt, we win that game, we don't feel good about the game at all. But then moving forward into game two, I think Eddie Rodriguez is sharper because he seems to be a guy and this is what I've noticed over the last six or seven turns through the rotation. He feeds off what the team is doing. He's not a he's not a trendsetter on this team, or a or a stopper, or the guy that you go to when you need a win. He's the guy. If everyone's rolling, then Eddie is Eddie aces. He's he's going to be an, an ace. And if everyone's struggling, he's going to struggle. Uh, he kind of takes the identity of the other guys in the rotation, and I think that's more of a regular season issue with him than it would be in the postseason because he's dialed in in the postseason. I wonder if he's not as dialed in in the regular season as he otherwise would be. But to me, lacks of, lack of concentration on Vasquez's part cost us as much as anything else. Andrew, any thoughts on the dishonorables? No, I think we kind of covered the bases on that one. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears and get into the studs. Andrew, go ahead. For me, it was pretty easy. It was Hunter Renfro. Um, game one, I think he probably what had two home runs robbed, or was that game two? It might have been game two, where it was out of twenty down at the other ballparks in the league. Just been hitting the absolute cover off the ball lately, and tonight. Came up with a big home run, uh, one of his biggest as a member of the Red Sox uh, to this point. And he had two outfield assists, and he really bailed uh, Santana's ass out because he took a terrible route to the ball in center when, I mean, they hit what Devers was playing second, Dahlbeck was playing third. Everything was all nice and messed up. So thank God Redfro backed him up uh, and threw the ball about it, what, 320 feet and just nailed Wendell that that was we might not see a better throw and I think I've said that about five times so far this year but that was that was some way to end a game I think it was the biggest throw that he's made this season and he had two of them uh today he had one where he threw the runner out at second base he threw Manuel Margot out trying to take second on a a a blooper to right field so he had two great plays in today's game defensively on top of that, I think you could tell that Cora spoke to him. He learned his lesson about backing up the the fielders because he was there in center field to make that throw, whereas in game one when Verdugo dropped the ball, where the hell was he? Nowhere to be seen. So you could tell that he was locked in today uh, defensively, and then on top of that, the, the biggest hit not only of the game, but I think of the second half for the Red Sox right there because there's nothing that kills your momentum like getting swept. So I think, you know, he had a great game. I Nothing to complain about from Hunter Redfro tonight. And really the only caveat is he should have been backing up for Dugo. It's the only reason he wasn't by stud. Like I tweeted out, the single most dramatic win of of 2021 how often do you see a game ended like that like you might see some end at the plate but your team is probably going to do that at most once a season and Wendell went for it and I can't blame him because we've had too many blunders in the last you know 72 hours and they needed to put themselves in position to tie it and there were two outs so so he went for it and got burnt by Hunter Renfro's arm. And more and more as the season goes on, not only has Renfro been been stellar at the plate, especially as far as hitting the long ball, but he's been as clutch as almost anyone. Like this is this is JD. 2018 level clutch. This is Raphael Devers all year long level clutch. And I didn't think I was probably the lowest of anyone on, on Renfro. The other show, the the early week show wasn't high in, in general as a group on Renfro, but 
he's been my biggest surprise from from all the bloom signings this winter the one that that I like the most out of all the ones I didn't think I'd like and it's fun to watch I mean the the guys the guy's a powerhouse and all of his home runs are majestic none of them are cheap so it was fun to see and the the outfield assist and the game was was epic <laughs> it's just if, if there's an award for most improved player in baseball then he's a, a runner-up i think to robbie ray like that's how in the american league that's the jump that i think he's made this year versus our expectations i mean we had him as a 220 hitter here he is hitting 265 with almost 30 home runs and winning you ball games left and right it, it's been phenomenal to watch his OBP is in a relatively good spot too. I mean, right around 320, so very uh, respectable there. And he hit one. I mean, he hit 167 last year. And granted, COVID year 2020, but and this is what his third team in in three years. Yeah. So he's basically a cast off, and I, I just wonder if Tampa. Having a, a front row seat to this tonight was like, oh, we should have just hung on to him. He was cheap. We should have. I would him. assume so. I mean, yeah, because we'd be mad, we'd be furious. He'd be doing this for them, and then they would trade him for like th- two top hundred prospects in the winter, and he'd go back to hitting like one twenty. Because we've seen this, we've seen this movie before from Tampa Bay. We really have. This is the kind of player that Kevin Bay covets right now, right? A, a cheap guy who's way overperforming his contract, and then they ship him out. So they're probably thinking this is one of our biggest mistakes we've made of, of late. And they, you know, it's crazy if you like look at uh, what ifs with that team. Like, Wander Franco is amazing at shortstop, but they got rid of uh, Willie Adamas, who's turned into an MVP. They've got rid of Cronenworth, who's an absolute stud. Renfro, I mean, this that lineup one through nine would be the best in baseball. I don't. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be close, quite frankly. It wouldn't if be. They close. could add, you know, thirty-five million dollars a year to their payroll right now, so they didn't have to deal some of those guys. Then they would be the Los Angeles Dodgers. That that's who they would be. Instead, every year they're shipping somebody out like. This year, of this Rays team that's going to win the division, at least one starter, probably two, whether the, you know one of the of the nine guys in the field and one pitcher, is not going to be here next year, and it's going to be because they traded him, not because he's a free agent. Tampa, you know they, the. It seems like there's no rhyme or reason, but they they make a lot of correct decisions. I just I think they they might regret the the Renfro non-tender a little bit, but but they get a lot of things right. And interestingly, though, Andrew, you bring up Adamus. He goes from Tampa to to Milwaukee. Looks kind of like an MVP. Another guy was traded from a Florida team to Milwaukee and did become an MVP officially, Christian Yelich. So you just wonder if the Brewers, analytically, they just must have a really good hitting program. And obviously they have a good pitching program because look what they're getting out of guys like Woodruff, who wasn't really on anyone's radar. And, um, you know, and they've developed Corbin Burns and, and, and whatnot. So that's like the homers will roast me for having a, a backup team for for the month of October. Like I love October baseball, whether we're in it or not. And I'm going to be watching a lot of Brewers games. Like I've always liked that team. And uh, so we'll see. Job, you're, you're stud for the series. Well, I'm out here as we talk, I'm, I'm rewatching that throw from Hunter Renfro. That's what you see me doing here. But do, you, do you just want my, him my too? Do you just want series. Renfro to be your dud, stud rather? You know, like <laughs> I, I really do, but I don't. <laughs> okay. My stud for the series is going to be tonight's pitcher, Nathan Avaldi. Not only was he dominant, he had the best stuff I think we've seen from him all season tonight as far as all his pitches were working. 
He was locating the slider, the splitter, the fastball was working on the outer half. And he had hitters fooled. On, on three or four occasions tonight, he left the pitch over the middle of the plate where I went, oh, holy shit, no. And they were so far out in front of it that they had already swung through the ball before it hit the net. It was awesome. It was like they had no idea what he was throwing, and all the pitches were moving. On top of that, Chris Sale went three and two-thirds. Eddie Rodriguez went three and two-thirds, and bullpen was gapped. So enter Nadevaldi tonight. He's been the stopper four or five times this season. He's been our big game arm. Since joining the team, he's been phenomenal in big games. Tonight was a bigger game than most people think because, like I said, getting swept kills momentum. He gave you seven strong innings, no runs, eight strikeouts, fielded his position beautifully. Uh, and then on top of that, he gave the bullpen basically two days off. I mean, Josh Taylor threw 10 pitches, Hansel Robles threw 15 pitches. Everybody else gets an extra day off tomorrow and is going to be fresh going into a series with the dominant Chicago White Sox. Andrew, thoughts on... Yeah, the biggest the biggest thing was the length he went, just cutting that bullpen appearance down to only needing, well, three guys, technically. Taylor, Richards, and Robles. Yeah, but, I mean, if he only went six, probably lose that game. I don't think they navigate through that with less than maybe two runs. And who knows, maybe we're still playing baseball right now, burning the rest of our guys and really screwing ourselves for the future series. But he, he did exactly what you needed. He saw Taylor warming up in the six and it was like, kind of wish he could get through this. And then Dahlbeck makes two, three amazing three, plays. Three straight. And that absolutely helped um, Nate get through that inning because he needed that quick one and it wasn't looking like he was going to because I think he went 3-2 with Choi to start but that's all it took Taylor comes in does what he needs to kind of do sort of uh, <laughs> Richards wasn't great and then Robles but that's as good as you'll see Robles so yeah good, good call on uh, Nate being the stud Terry I, I have a thought on Nate before we move forward that I forgot to mention I wanted him to go one more inning, uh, at least at least go out there to start the inning. And I, I hate not giving the relievers a clean inning, but I was like, this guy is rolling. Don't send the bullpen out there. And uh, I was upset with Cora for not giving him another inning. Well, I think the fact that Robles had to be the closer kind of speaks to Andrew's point that he, he had to go seven at least because who's your – Who's your extra reliever going to be? I mean, Ottavino, it would have been Ottavino, but I mean, where's your trust level on him lately? Especially with divisional opponents. That's where he tends to be really bad is, is against teams like Tampa, the Blue Jays. I, I don't recall what he's done with the Yankees, but um, just so it, it was absolutely critical that Evaldi go at least seven and the guys, the guys have been stellar all year. He's been 2013 John Lackey for you all year long. Just been incredibly stout. And I tweeted out on, on the bastards account. I said, if you need to hire someone to do a job, you hire Nathan Evaldi. <laughs> That's just what you do. So a, a little uh, kind of side topic here. I want to mention I didn't talk about Sale in the Duds uh, side. He only gave up one earned run, so that on paper doesn't look too bad. But he did give up 10 hits. He gave up 10 hits, lasted three and two-thirds. The, the pitch count was up a little bit. And he got slapped around. And this is what I kind of thought might happen last start against Tampa, which was two starts ago because we only had the Cleveland series in between. And if you look back two starts ago, he got pretty lucky. He had runners on first and second with no outs in, in each of the first two innings and got out of it. If either of those innings go sideways, he's probably got a pitching line that looks similar to what he did in, in his recent start a couple of days ago against Tampa. So 
here's what I'm wondering. We've got the rest of the month to go to look at it to be sure, but is Chris Sale your surefire wild card game starter over a guy like Evaldi who's been consistent? Do you still go with Sale? I think here's my two cents on it, Andrew. I I was gonna say that same thing. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, I I think if it's Toronto, probably. And if it's New York, I think I let Nate. I, I've just seen enough out of the that matchup to let Nate do it. I think differently. I think if it's Toronto, it's Chris Sale. And if it's New York, it's Chris Sale. And the real reason is this. Either one of those guys is going to give you an ace effort. Chris Sale is probably the one who has the better pure talent. And I'm going to take talent every time. On top of that, and I know that this is not the smartest way to manage, and I hope Core is not listening to this, because if he takes this into account, I'm going to be pissed. I want Nate Evaldi against Tampa every time and twice on Sunday. So if you can pitch Chris Sale and Garrett Whitlock and do the one-two and maybe win a wild-card game against New York, who are slipping, or maybe it's Toronto, who scare the hell out of me, frankly. But if you can give them Chris Sale, who they haven't seen yet this year, they've seen all their other pitchers, and they've done pretty well against us this year, that's a plus. On top of that, Nate Evaldi dominates the Tampa Bay Rays. You want to talk about a pitcher who loves pitching against his former team and showing them what they screwed up? Oh, it's Nate Evaldi. Whether it's the playoffs, the regular season, it doesn't matter. So that that's how I look at it. The one thing that hangs over your head is, do you possibly want to get knocked out of the postseason by not starting Chris Sale? That's That looms large, and... and that's something someone might think could haunt a guy like Alex Cora, but I, when I see Chris Sale right now, I just see a guy who's not fully back, and I see a guy who who can't finish guys off, and that that's what I'm looking at out there. And he got a lot of swings and misses on his changeup, which is a pitch he hasn't predominantly featured over the course of his career, but. Maybe that develops over the course of the next few weeks, and then and then maybe it's fully justifiable to put Sale in there. But if if my postseason depends on it right now, my guy's Nathan Avoldi. Well, now here's you know kind of a stat that explains why I wouldn't go with Nate Avoldi. His first start against Tampa, he only gave up three runs, six and two thirds, eight strikeouts, pretty dominant, right? His second start against the Blue Jays, he went five innings, gave up seven earned runs, and got absolutely hammered. Tampa has seen every pitcher on our staff, and the second time around, they beat up on us pretty good up in Canada. I absolutely, under any circumstances, don't want to have to worry about past matchups this season with some of these hitters. Vlad Guerrero Jr. getting a sixth or seventh look at Nate Evaldi on this season is terrible for our prospects. But none of these guys have seen Chris Sale this year. And he's got that weird release point where these young hitters might have struggled picking up the, the slider. And the one thing we really know about Chris Sale is in a big game moment, he dials it up. Whether that's the playoffs and he's saving... 2018 World Series, or he's starting a game. You see him absolutely execute big pitches. He hasn't had one of those yet. Like, no, he doesn't look like he's back. But the intensity, when he ratchets it up, I absolutely trust him to throw one of those FU fastballs at 99 at the top of the zone more than I trust Nate Evaldi against Vlad Guerrero Jr. Any more thoughts, Andrew? Not really. Um, I'd probably go deeper into it. With, I mean, I think they're probably only going to ask for four or five innings out of 
whoever it is, should they have the lead? And then I think you're going to see like a guy like Tanner Howe come in for two innings and then probably Whitlock. Um, well, I think Tanner Howe will be in the bullpen at that point. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm that's saying. Kind of yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. At least for the wild there, card. There's, a, there's like at least one day off between the wild card game and the ALDS. So, they, they can kind of afford to throw a couple guys out there. And the dream scenario is the Red Sox just put up a lot of runs early on whoever it is, and and the pressure's off at that point. We have not played a wild card game in the wild card, the two game wild, the two team wild card era, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a level of stress that we've never experienced. So. We'll see that this will be a conversation that we continue to have on every show as we do get down to this day based on start per start. I think everybody's got at least three starts left roughly. So we'll, uh, we'll see from there. Uh, let's see other studs to get into. Let's see. I mean, well, Dahlbeck, I, I guess you got to go with Dahlbeck. Absolutely. Yeah. Was, Bobby Dahlbeck. Yeah. Three. He was if Renfro didn't do what he did tonight, it was it, I mean it was Bobby for me. Yeah, he uh, he drove in two uh, in game one by uh, pulling one down the left field line. That was kind of how we were able to pile on those seven runs and then back to back home runs. The game was lost, but you know whatever. He still it was still an impressive performance. And back to back home runs after being put in as a pinch hitter. Like he came cold off the bench. Right. Two two-run shots. Yeah. There was yeah, a and righty starter. So. It, it should be noted that not he's one of only 13 Red Sox rookies to hit 20 home runs in a, in a season. So I think that gets overlooked that he is still a rookie um, when people have their expectations for him. But he's been absolutely you know locked in. He's in 242 right now. Um, seems like he's re- gaining confidence and growing into his own. Andrew, do you want to know what his stats are over the last month? Do you have any interest in that? I'd assume he's hitting like 340 with eight home runs and a 400 OBP, 400-ish OBP. That, that's that's pretty good. Over his last 30 games, he's hitting 334 with a 420 o- OPS, or rather OBP, <laughs> and a 750 slugging. <laughs> he's, he's been an absolute threat for the last 30 days. And I don't have his numbers going back uh, two months, but it, he was the player of the month, I'm uh, pretty sure, for August for um, for the American League, if not the rookie of the month. So he's absolutely turned it on here uh, of late. Job's favorite stat is, is Bobby Dahlbeck's last 30 days. <laughs> you know, it, it has been in the last two weeks yeah. of the show. Before that, it was Bobby Dahlbeck's strikeouts. So we're totally oscillating <laughs> here, Terry. What I do like about Dahlbeck today specifically, and in this series as a whole, outside of game one where he was sloppy, no doubt about it, uh, he was great defensively. He looked absolutely locked in today defensively. And Andrew mentioned it a little bit. If he doesn't make those three defensive plays at first base in the seventh inning, then Nate Evaldi is coming out. And then you're in trouble. Or the sixth inning, rather, and you don't get Nate for the seventh. And you probably lose the game. Uh, he made two two of those plays were fantastic. One of them was routine, but two of those plays were you'd think we had a good first baseman. You really would. He had a good series against a good team. I can't take anything away from him. In 2022, I hope he has a 3100 season, hits 275 for the Detroit Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say two nice things in, in one show, but uh, yeah, good. And I'll also say this though. He looks like he's having fun playing baseball because he wasn't having much fun, you know, for much of the first half. So I think they really instilled some serious confidence in him when they didn't go get a first baseman. I mean, oh, they gave a lot of lip service to the fans about Kyle Schwarber being our first baseman. Internally, I think they all know what we knew on this show, which is our first baseman's Bobby Dahlbeck now, and we were all like, oh, shit. 
I think Bobby Dahlbeck was like, oh, they, they actually have faith in me. And he's gone out and played like it. There's some serious swagger and confidence that he's been playing with since the deadline. That's been very, very apparent, you know, by watching him. Uh, so let's see. There's nobody was terrible uh, offensively. Uh, Devers four for ten, uh, drove in runs. His best game was was game one. Martinez three for eleven. That's basically been par for the season for him. Wasn't too spectacular. Drove in a run, game one. Um, Iglesias came in in his only at bat game one. Drove also drove in a run. He was two for seven. Getting into the bullpen, it's tough to really find anyone that was stellar. I mean, well, I'll I'll give it to Robles for closing out the game. Two strikeouts to start. Got bailed out by Renfro there on that um, outfield assist, but. He's one of those up and even down then, guys. Yeah. Even then, though, did he really get bailed out? Because if Santana takes a better route to that ball and, and doesn't dive and go for broke, that's a double. I mean, it might even be a single. If he takes a good route to that ball, he probably holds him at first. It's not really like it was hit all that deep. It was just hit in the alley. <laughs> he probably catches it in the air if he knew how to play center field, quite frankly. Right. So I, I find it hard to make him a – a dud in that sense. Getting into, we're way ahead of uh, where we normally are, but uh, getting into the Chicago series, it's going to be tough to really paint you guys a picture on what's going to happen. We have Hauk versus probably a minor league starter in, in game one, if not maybe even a somewhat of a bullpen game. So, I mean, we're just hoping the Red Sox win this one and, Hopefully, Hauk has a has a good start. He's coming off his best start of the season, so maybe a little bit of momentum. That splitter is, is starting to to develop more and more. So, if they show confidence in him to go out and pitch six innings, I'll be shocked in this game. I think the White Sox are a legitimate threat in the American League. We could potentially see them if we go on a run here. How can I pitch only five innings in that game? And and that is why tonight's start was so big. Because now the the full bullpen is going to be rested for that game, and it takes all the pressure off Cora from a management perspective. How to Whitlock, to Ottavino, to Barnes. Shut the door. Yeah, I think um, the Red Sox are probably hoping that Eloy doesn't come back for this series after last night's game where he was – yeah, he was in the dugout and got smoked in the knee. Um, I think Robert, I don't know who hit it, but he took one right off the kneecap. So they could really dodge a bolt there if they rest him for a few days. Because, yeah, I'm giving how two, two guys two times through the order, and I'm getting the hell out of there. That's basically what, how Cora handled him uh, in the Cleveland series. But, uh, all right, it is – the pitching's bad right now. I mean, Giolito's on the the disabled list or injured list. Um, Carlos Rodon as well. Lance Lynn might be coming off of it or, or maybe just came off of it, but um, he's been kind of banged up lately. So we're catching them at the right time as far as pitching goes, but is there any other offensive guys not in the lineup? I think Luis Robert is, is Yeah, bad. Robert's there. Yeah, it's just Jimenez who got – freak injury the other day yeah okay we will not see lance lynn according to cbs okay i'm doing this research on the fly <laughs> uh, Lance Lynn through a bullpen yesterday is not slated to return for at least four days okay. well then i could we we might see michael kopech uh start one of these games who hasn't that been scares the hell out of me he hasn't been that good though so I mean, he. What have we learned though, Terry? About not <laughs> yeah, great true. And the Boston. The, those are the guys. Those are the guys that shut us down. You're absolutely right. So yeah, maybe we should be worried about it. Uh, game two, we have a, a TVD. Hopefully not Cutter Crawford. <laughs> I believe that'll be Connor Siebold. That would be great. I, I don't have it necessarily confirmed, but all indications are that that's going to be Connor Siebold against uh, Dylan Cease. Right. 
Cease is their only uh, listed starting pitcher, and that's game two. So, And that does line up about right for Seabold to come in on, on normal rest. It, it will be four days rest for Seabold. I would imagine, or rather it be five days rest for Seabold. I would imagine they don't want Cutter Crawford making another major league start. <laughs> yeah. if, they, if they have Connor Seabold ready, because we know that Seabold was their one A option. And Cutter Crawford got the call when Nick Pavetta tested positive for COVID-19 because Seabold was not available. So now that Seabold is available, I imagine he will make that start. And that'll be a really fun game to watch because the White Sox are a good team. They're a really good team. They're going to make him work hard. And this is his Red Sox debut. This is going to be fun. I yeah, I don't know how good I feel about throwing him first first major league start against the White Sox, but they might have to get uh, Brad Peacock up pretty quickly, you know? <laughs> no. I, I think Whitlock will be saved for that game. I, I would be surprised if we see Whitlock piggybacking on Hauk to righties. Um, uh, unless that game is extremely close, I think they try to save Whitlock for the Seabold start. Seabold's a lefty? No, but I think that Whitlock is the only other guy besides Peacock who can go four or three in a pinch. And I just don't necessarily see them throwing Hauk, Whitlock, Ottavino, and Barnes all in the same day. It just doesn't make sense to me. And, I mean, Peacock can't even go one, if if we're being honest. But um, unless it's a mop-up situation where we're getting killed anyway. Game three... Chris Sale pitching in his old ballpark where he had uh, some really good seasons. It's also where he sliced up a bunch of jerseys. Um, he's going against a, a, apparently a, a TBD starter as well. So it should also be noted here that the Indians, are, are, excuse me, the uh, White Sox are under no pressure whatsoever. They've got that division locked up. They're not looking at this series the way the Red Sox are looking at it, where they're all must-wins to try to create a buffer in the wild card. Chicago's going to coast into either the two or three seed and, you know, not have to deal with a one-game elimination. So, Chris Sale, this is a, a big start, though, for him. He didn't – he looked okay in the first Tampa start. That was a big test because his three previous starts – before that, we're against last place teams. Then he has a second start against Tampa. Not great. This is a high powered. This is a high powered lineup. Even without Eloy, a bunch of guys that can mash. So yeah, it's like facing the Blue Jays. Yeah, essentially. exactly. Yeah. So any any other thoughts on the sale start? You know, if he goes I, six. Oh, go oh, sorry, I was gonna say if he goes five or six, that's that's uh, a great sign. With a, with a few runs, even that's still a fair yep. start. Yeah, yeah. I don't want Chris Sale pushed in, in this game. I'm going to be honest. I'm getting to the point where I want Chris Sale to be going 100 percent the entire time he's out there. And I think right now, at the the point that he's at, what we've seen, we're going to get 80 pitches of it, of prime Chris Sale. He's not going to get to 100, I don't think, before the wild card. I don't want them trying to stretch him out at the expense of positional advantage. I think you can pitch Chris Sale for five innings, take him out at 85 pitches or five innings, whatever comes first, and that's the ideal situation for this team because I don't necessarily view that game as a must-win as long as we win the first two. I just want to see him finishing guys off. That's what I want to see. Because <laughs> we yeah, didn't... Yeah, I mean, you know, we haven't seen that. Right, exactly. He hasn't been sharp with the slider. Um, and people have been fouling off his two-strike pitches far more than they used to. I'd like to see the velocity. You know, on two strikes, I want to see him pump in 98 instead of 95. But uh, I also just don't want them to push him against this lineup where you know his emotions are going to be high because it's the White Sox. Uh, and he wants to show them, you know, screw you. I don't want them pushing him because I have a feeling the first inning, he's going to come out and throw 98 in the first inning. And I don't want him doing that the whole game. I, I'd like to see him kind of moderate his, his heartbeat a little bit, 
um, stay calm, collected, and just get through five. Pitch to contact a little bit, not worry too much about it because this lineup is dangerous and he's going to get hit around. Don't read too much into this start. I don't think he's ready for us to read into this like a playoff start yet. All right. I think on that note, we will wrap for deep dives. We're going to be talking about some of the potential call-ups, uh, probably a lot of Connor Siebold talk, and might get into some other mischief as well. That episode will be released 24 hours after this episode, so be on the lookout for that. And then on Sunday night, Charlie, Jason, and myself will be back to talk about the Chicago series and what did go down. Everybody have a good rest of your week. Take care.